Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Arne Westad. I'm one of the directors of LSE Ideas with Professor Michael Cox. And it's a great pleasure for me today, on behalf of the school, to invite back an illustrious alumnus of, of the LSE, uh, Ambassador Ma Zhengang, who is the president of the China Institute of International Studies, the CIIS in Beijing. Ambassador Ma is also the chairman of the China Council for Security Cooperation in the Asia-Pacific and, very importantly, the chairman of China's Arms Control and Disarmament Association. Uh, among his many other affiliations, he is also an honorary research fellow at the Royal Asiatic Society here in the UK. After graduating from the Beijing Foreign Languages Institute, which is now the Beijing Foreign Studies University, I think, in, in English, uh, he joined the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of China in 1965. But right after joining, he came here to Britain to continue his studies, uh, first at Ealing Technical College, and then he came here to LSE uh, in 1966, where he studied in the linguistics department. Uh, and it's particularly, uh, uh, particularly good for us to know that this is a time that he cherishes and he looks back at, as he told me before we got started today, with, with great pleasure and great interest. It is something that LSE is particularly proud of, that quite a number of the people who have been developing China's foreign relations over the past generation has had an affiliation with the school, including the current foreign minister, Jiang Yechir. Before taking up his current uh, position uh, with the China Institute for International Studies, Ambassador Ma was Director General of the Department of North American and Oceanian Affairs in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, he was Vice Minister uh, of the Foreign Office of the State Council, which is a very important position in the Chinese uh, decision-making setup. Uh, and very importantly, of course, here, he served as China's ambassador to the UK from 1997 to 2002. So it's a pleasure and a great privilege to introduce you here uh, this afternoon, Ambassador Ma. We're looking forward to hearing your lecture on China-EU relations in a changing new world. There will be an opportunity after Ambassador Ma has spoken to ask questions from the audience, and we'll make sure that we set up plenty of time for that. Ambassador Ma, again, it is a pleasure. Welcome to LSE. Thank you very much, Director. And uh, about more, more than 40 years ago, I spent about a year in this well-known London School of Economics and Political Studies as a student. 34 years later, in March 2000, I gave a report on China foreign policy here to the Crimson International Relations Club as Chinese ambassador in Britain. So I feel extremely happy here today to be back not only back to London, to UK, and to my alma mater, LSE. And to tell the truth, I also feel a little bit nervous because delivering a speech in your own mother's school, just like going through an examination before so many strict professors and teachers. I have found strongly the great changes in the past 30 years, 40 years or so. And in the fall of 1966, 
when I joined the LSE, China was bogged down in the turbulence of the so-called Cultural Revolution. China was regarded by many Westerners at that time as a evil country. In 1997, when I came back to London as China's ambassador, Asian, Asia was suffering from a severe financial crisis. And China's best economic performance at that time and her behavior, full responsibility to Asia and to the world, perhaps for the first time, sincerely acknowledged by the Western world. Now, China is the third largest economy and the third largest trade partner in the world and with the largest foreign reserves. The Chinese economy contributes more than 20% to the global economic growth and 19% to global trade growth in 2008. After international financial crisis broke out, China introduced a proactive fiscal policy and moderate easy monetary policy as well as an economic stimulus package in this decisive manner to address the crisis. Meanwhile, China is an active player of significance in dealing with the present financial crisis and economic crisis. China's important and possible role in the three G20 summit has been fully recognized and praised. So, after 40 years, many people now even wondering how fast China would become another superpower in the world. What happened in China, of course, is not a phenomenon alone, but a convincing demonstration of a world that is undergoing extensive and profound changes. The greater changes since the Cold World War II was the conclusion of the Cold War in the early 1990s. With the ending of confrontation between the two superpowers over half a century, people all over the world were expecting peace development. But their fond dream was frustrated by the hegemonical ambitions of the United States. As the only superpower in the world, the U.S. cherished a blind belief in unilateralism and uh, tried to build up an international order dominate, dominated by itself alone. They failed or denied to see the world trend towards multipolarity and the development of globalization and announced arrogantly that the United States could go it alone. For a time being, the U.S. appeared so powerful and that no country or international rule could exercise restraint over its behavior. Nevertheless, the most effective power is the will of the people and the objective law of development of times. We now all see clearly the consequences 
of the U.S. post-Cold War strategic policy. In the past 20 years or so, particularly the first decade of the 21st century, our world has witnessed more changes of all categories and types. Among them, I believe two are most fundamental and outstanding, with the global and the strategic significance. First, with the steady rising or re-emergence of a number of developing countries, the world balance power is undergoing changes of great significance. This has begun to reshape gradually the whole international landscape, politically, economically, and socially. It is true that developing countries are still stronger and much influential at the present time, by and large. But the autumn process is under development, and the equilibrium of forces will continue moving to a more balanced proportion. 20 years ago, the GDP of G20 of G7 accounted for 70 to 80 percent of the world total, and now only about 50 to 60 percent. In year 2000, the GDP of the four BRIC countries were only 8% of the world total, but now it was 15%. So if the growth rate is taken into consideration, one will not fail to see a, gr a general tendency of rising and falling in comparison. Since the mid-1970s, G7 has played almost uh, Decis almost a decisive role in world economic affairs and even attempted political affairs. But it's agreed in the recent uh, Pittsburgh summit of G20 that G20 will be a leading platform for the international community to tackle financial crisis and advance the reform of the international financial system. And we all remember that G7 is consisted of seven developed countries, and G20, half of them are developing countries. I think this is the first important change. The second one, the world is far from security. Over the last few hundred years, crossing Atlantic area, mostly Europe and Northern America, have been the center of the world and enjoyed all rights worse than these, while other countries overrode or ignored. This kind of situation is bound to change since almost all the newly emerging countries are from Asia, Africa and Latin America. Consequently, countries that have endured 
investing interests and privilege would have to face a challenge whether they are ready to treat the newly emerging countries in full equal terms. The second great change, countries of the world have become more interdependent, sharing increasing interests and challenges. Large numbers of global issues request more effective global governance. One, the development of global, globalization has made countries in the world much more linked and connected, and their interests are increasingly interwoven. Under such circumstances, any action from selfish motive with the aim of profiting at the expense of others would often bring harms back to itself. This is less and, there's less and less room for zero gains. Mutual cooperation for win-win result has become a universal concept, a new catchword of the time. Two, the world is far from real security, and the international community is confronted with the numerous security threats, traditional and non-traditional. And the growing global, global, growing number of global issues. Old troubles of hotspots, such as the problem of the Middle East region, are still hanging on, and no ray of hope is in sight. The threat of terrorist violence and the danger of proliferation for massive destructive weapons, nuclear in particular, remain looming large over the world. Quite a number of countries are caught up caught up in domestic political wrangles. Crisis on natural resources, energy, food, water, and whatnot have panicked, panicked, panicked human society again and again. Ever worsening ecological environment and severe climate change are causing great concerns and worries on human survival. Natural disasters such as earthquake, hurricane, tsunami, and new epidemic diseases have frequently done damage to human life and properties. Then the global financial crisis began in the United States, swept rapidly over the whole world, and almost in an instant caused the world economy from boost to bust. bust. Many parts of the world were somewhat plunging into grave depression. Even till now, nobody can tell, how, tell for sure when the crisis will be over and the substantial recovery really start. Since all these threats and the challenges are of global nature. No single country or a group of countries can cope with them alone. Those issues have a direct severe heavy bearing on the future and the fate of the whole world and each country is rapidly affected. It is 
It is absolutely necessary and demanding for all peoples and nations to join hands and work together in re-facing up the challenge. From the two big changes in the world, we can draw five conclusions. One, development remains the major issue of the world and has gained in importance. Two, the call for democracy in international relations has become stronger. Three, the recognition of the need to address security challenges through cooperation has become increased. Four, peace, develop, peace development and cooperation are and will continue to be the trend of the area. Five, the press international system, including the financial, international financial system, is in, the, is in for major changes. Reform is in, is imperative. As a large developing country with one-fifth of the world population, China's emerging as a global power is certainly the most influential event in the present epoch. This has posed an unavoidable question to all countries of the world. Developed countries in Europe and North America in particular that is, how to look upon China development and how to deal with the developing China. France speaking, Westerners in general have a feel to have a realistic, deep and comprehensive understanding over decades of China. To know a real developing China, I think it's necessary to get beyond the his historical cultural and ideological divide, get rid of the Cold War thinking and prejudice, and see China and its policies from a perspective of development. If you find it too difficult to learn all aspects about China, I think you should at least learn to know the following three points. First, China is unswervingly follows the path of peaceful development. That means, one, the total purpose of China development is for the continual raise and of the quality and the quantity of the Chinese people's life, materially and culturally, and continue to be to the progress of the whole world and not for world domination and hegemony. Two, China development is mainly rely on China's own resources and, and raw material, but not on external expansion or plunder. China attached great importance to cooperation with other countries' regions on the basis of equality mutual benefit. China works hard for win-win outcome in cooperation and never seek self-development at the expenses of others' interests. Three, China stands for common development and common prosperity. China cannot develop in isolation from the rest of the world. 
nor can the world enjoy prosperity and stability without China. China has done its best to help other countries in their development, and also regard this as its only own duty. Four, China needs more than ever a long-term peaceful and stable international environment for its development. And the successes of China development have likewise enforced peace force in the world. So this is the first recognized China as is taking a path for peaceful development. Second, China is developing a harmonious society. China development is not for some, just for some high figures, GDP figures or trade figures, or as some Western advocate for the consolidation of the rule of the Communist Party. China is building now a moderate, prosperous society in all respects, and for the real and full benefits of the Chinese people. For this, China is applying the scientific outlook on development. That requires taking development as the essence, putting people first as its core. Comprehensive balance and uh, sustainable development as its basic requires and overall coordination. Consideration is its fundamental approach. I think this is the second part. China is not only developing economy for the figure, but also for, for the social welfare of people. That's including the improvement of democracy, legal protection, uh, welfare, Medicare, education, and so on, even including and including environment protection. Third point is, China is promoting building a harmonious world of lasting peace and common prosperity. Owing to the timeline, I won't go elaborate on that because that we talk a lot about that. That mainly includes peace, cooperation, win-win result in cooperation and diversity and tolerance. Diversity in civilization, tolerance of different cultures. The great change in international situation has presented both increasing opportunities and challenges before China and Europe. Under the current situation, it is all more, it's all more important for China and EU to strengthen cooperation in all fields. China has attached great importance to green relations with the EU and has all along put China-EU relations high on the agenda. Thanks to the con concerted efforts both sides, China and EU have overcome the difficulties of last year and brought their relation back to the track of state development. The two sides should observe the following in properly addressing new challenges and the change in circumstances and further consolidate the foundation of China-EU comprehensive strategic partnership. First, properly address such global issues as climate change 
and uh, financial crisis. Those global challenges not only require concerted response from China and the EU, but also provide new opportunities and impetus for two sides to deepen cooperation and uh, uplift their relations. Two, properly address differences of disputes caused by difference in the stage of development and uh, cultural tradition. As long as two sides adopt uh, a forward-looking approach, bear in mind the overall interests of China-US EU relations, stay committed to dialogue and cooperation, the problem will be solved properly. Three, properly address the Tibetan-related and Xinjiang-related issues. This is one of China's core interests of sovereignty, territorial integrity, and national security. And there's no room at all for compromise and concession. Four, probably address long-standing or even permanent differences between the two sides in the political system and ideology. Should the EU side attempt to develop its relations with China with the influence with influence influence sorry with the influencing and changing China's political system ideology as the goal, it will be moving in the wrong direction and nor would be achieve any good result. So if I define the relation between China and EU I should call it a harmoniously comprehensible cooperation with differences. As for China-UK relations, I don't have much to say. I'm very happy to see the momentum of development has been kept on as ever. As the president of momentum started in my term of ambassadorship, there's no change that Britain is the largest investor in China and third largest trade partner with China among EU countries. But only the volumes have changed greatly. I'm looking forward to China-UK relations with great expectations and strong confidence. And I also wish a, a very prosperous development of my Almata LSE. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Ambassador Ma, for that uh, wonderfully comprehensive and brief overview of um, China's foreign relations, and in particular, China's relationship to the EU. We're going to take questions from the, from the audience here, but could I just start with one question? One issue that's always puzzled me when I'm in Beijing, and maybe even more now than in the past, is that a lot of Chinese uh, intellectuals and a lot of Chinese foreign policy decision makers have an interest in the EU, but what they're really most interested in is the United States. They're always drawn in the direction of thinking about American power first and foremost and then thinking about the relationship to the EU as something that is definitely growing in importance, but doesn't have the 
anything like the strategic significance or even the economic significance of the overall relationship with the United States. Now, do you think that there is a change underway on that, or will this remain the situation for the foreseeable future? If we review the relations between China and the United States and ch relations between China and Europe, you can find that in the early days, actually, the Chinese government attached more or greater in importance to our relation with the EU than with the United States. And uh, uh, now, I, according to my own experience, uh, uh, and from what I've learned, the Chinese government have not changed this strategy, or rather, we treat the United States and EU on equal terms. That is, we attach importance to our relation with the U.S. and also attach important relations to the EU. Uh, of course, the United States is different from the EU. The United States is one country, while the EU is an integral uh, what a community, or you may say, and uh, with 27 countries. So sometimes uh, we have to deal countries one by one. So that's, that's creates some uh, problem. But that does not mean that China neglects our relation with the EU and uh, we give more attention to the, to the US. Of course, in the past years, that's a reality that uh, China trade for trade relations with the, with the United States have developed very, very fast, and we have uh, many other corporations. Uh, actually, if you look at the, the relationship between China and EU, the trade, the total trade figure was lar is larger than that of the United, United States and China. And uh, the cooperation in science technology is stronger between China and the United States. And there are many other things. Mm. I think the situation is different. The United States and EU in different situation. But I think the attitude of the Chinese government is not different treatment to the two parts. Mm. Thank you very much. Other questions? Please raise your hands if you wanted to ask questions. <coughs> There's one up there. Front row. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, you spoke of cooperation and interdependence between countries. Do you think that uh, American interests and Chinese interests converge in Afghanistan? And uh, if so, what are those areas of cooperation? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I think you see uh, the cooperation between China and the United States is not exactly the same with the cooperation between China and your countries. Uh, some are the same, some are not, because the uh, United States are different from the EU. And I mentioned that uh, the attitude of the Chinese government is the same. i just give you a few examples. For instance, when China decides to buy some Boeing aircraft, we always would, at the same time, consider how much uh, Airbus we should buy. And when China sent a purchasing group to the United States, uh, we would have immediately try to organize a, a purchasing group to European countries. The difference is that if you need the United States, you travel to one country, if you have a $10 billion money ready to buy, you can spend the whole money. Well, in, the, in Europe, sometimes you have also prepared $10 billion US dollars, you could only spend five or six billion, not the whole thing, because, you know, 
you have to offer the thing China could buy. I think that's no, from the attitude. That's, that's a wonderful no dilemma to have. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, uh, that's another thing. For instance, the international cooperation, and China now has strengthened its cooperation with the United States on some uh, global issues. But at the same time, China also worked very hard to cooperate with the European countries on some international issues. But there are sometimes you find different views on this and that. But one thing is certain, for instance, the financial crisis, I think uh, China had a very good cooperation with UK, for instance, for the summit in London, and also with other countries. Premier Wen Jiabao visited the European countries earlier this year. <coughs> he talked with many leaders of countries and tried to find ways so that we can cooperate in, and jointly face the challenge. Mm. Of course, we also have a the United States have two summits, so we have more chances. So. What about the issue of Afghanistan that was raised? Is, is that something where you see a difference in approach from China and the EU, and for that matter, the United States as well? I think uh, China showed great uh, sympathy to Afghanistan. And China, after the war, uh, China has offered away a large sum of money and all, all kinds of other materials to, for the reconstruction. Afghanistan is a close neighbor of China. Certainly, we hope that Afghanistan could to come, re, uh, come back to stability and peace as soon as possible so that people can enjoy a kind of a peaceful life. Uh, but the question is, uh, you know, Afghanistan, Afghan, the war Afghan, of Afghanistan was started by the United States, and later, mainly the NATO troops stayed there. And when President Obama came to power, he decided to uh, give more support to Afghanistan than Iraq. I think the situation there is very complicated. But I think China certainly will play a positive part in helping restore peace and stability in the country. And uh, we will continue to offer help. Other questions? Please. Do we have a microphone? Just on the front row. Yeah, I'll get to the other questions as well back there. Please. Thanks. Uh, China has called for democracy in international relations for several years. Does this have something to do with the democratization of China's domestic politics? And what are the major impediments to EU's lifting of arms embargo against China? One, can I take one more question? The lady over there, black. Yes, please. Just wait for the microphone. Well, thank you very much, Ambassador Ma. And I'm a Chinese postgraduate who are studying in the UK. And uh, you are one of the most outstanding and uh, respectable ambassadors in China. We have been looking forward for your lecture for a long time. And uh, <laughs> uh, my question is that uh, you know we have. Uh, a plenty of Chinese students who are studying in, in the EU, and we are a large group of Chinese people who are studying abroad. And in this changing new world, is there anything we can do as uh, students we can do to improve the China and EU relationship? And uh, could you give us some suggestions about this? 
because we have the responsibility of our country. And the, finally, I have a personal request. Uh, that is, uh, could you take a photograph uh, with us Chinese oh, yeah. students after lecture? Okay, thank you very much. I wonder a little bit about the latter one because I, I do know that the ambassador is very short of time when he's leaving from here, but he will answer your question most certainly. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so very two, much. So two, two questions, one on democracy abroad and at home, and one what can Chinese students do to assist? Yeah. Uh, I was a commenter about the United States. I think the United States stress a lot about democracy in its own country, but have never practiced democracy in international relations. And uh, in the first place, I think uh, when there are about uh, 200 countries, big and small, and strong and weak, but the world affairs it affairs all people of the world. So every country have the right to decide or to take part in decision of world affairs. So I think the world community is like a big village. Everyone have a right to express the ideas and so on. Yeah. As for democracy in China, you know that China does not need democracy in the country. Actually, we, I said that we also pursue democracy all the time. And uh, of course, democracy could have many different interpretation and practice according to the real conditions of a country. There's not a universal pattern that every country can follow. And uh, I served in many Western countries. We talk about Western democracy. They very often stress about a multi-party system or a direct election. I think this the two all standing symbol of so-called democracy. <coughs> but I just ask a question. Many countries have some multi-party rules, and uh, many of the leaders are elected by uh, uh, direct election. Uh, I wouldn't say all are bad, but you, you can find a lot are not that satisfactory. So, a guaranteed democracy is not by form, but by its essence. And in China, we try to improve the real rights of people. And uh, as a matter of fact, now we have many ways to express our ideas, and we have many ways to offer ideas in the gov governance of the country. And we have many ways to comment on the government's work and so on. And the whole set of these sort of things, because uh, I cannot tell you in full length how much we have done for that. But if you look at all the Chinese government or party documents, strengthening democracy is always a very important part of the, that document. It's not to state only on words, but also try to practice deeds. So I think. Uh, China stress about democracy in international, international relations does not mean that China do not practice democracy at home. So I think that this is, is in full of accordance of one another because democracy is the spirit. That is, a, it let everyone have a right to say what they are doing and to do what they want to do. But of course, with the restriction of a 
rules and law and rules. That's, that's my understanding. And second part about Chinese students, I'm happy to see that so many Chinese uh, students are in China called uh, my younger <laughs> student brothers, sisters. And uh, I'm happy to, to hear that because when I was here, there were only five Chinese students from the mainland, and four from Taiwan, a few from Hong Kong. So you found, uh, you wouldn't find too much face for Chinese here. But now there are so many. And LSE have a, done great contribution to China diplo diplomatic course because many of the Chinese high-ranking diplomats are graduates from LSE. As uh, the director mentioned, uh, Mr. Yang Jiechiao, foreign minister, and ambassador to the uh, United Nations, Mr. Zhang Yesui, and also Mr. Um, Wang Guangya, another foreign minister, and uh, uh, even the former uh, Chinese chief representative negotiator for, uh, for WTO, all great study here in LSE. There are some younger ones they play a very important role now in the foreign ministry as department of other, other department of China. Mm. Uh, from this you can see the education as LSE to some extent according to my understanding quite suitable to your future work. So I think uh, my younger brothers and sisters should grasp the good, good opportunity first to fulfill yourself with a rich knowledge and knowledge cannot be too heavy to carry on, the more the better. And secondly, China, I don't know whether in the future working China or in the United Kingdom, but anyway, China is developing. And China's position in the world is uplifting. And uh, some people say that uh, China has been pushed from the edge of the world stage to the central area. And uh, you can know from after what happened, the, the financial crisis, uh, the world paid due attention to China. And uh, I believe if we can carry on the press development, China certainly can play a, a bigger role and contribute more to the world. In that case, we need a large number of well-educated so I think uh, you should take this into your mind and uh, prepare yourself for a broad and greater work in the future. Uh, whether you are able to fill the great post, that depends on yourself. And uh, for the, certainly you can promote China-UK relationship. One thing, try to help our UK friends know better about China. I think that's a very direct thing because uh, it's not possible for every British people to go to China to see China with their own eye. And very often, uh, as you say, scenes believe, very often if you fail to see the country, if you just read the country, to know the country through reading, particularly by some Western mass media, I'm sorry to say that, mm -hmm. you very often would, got, would get a biased view of China. So I think the Chinese students have, uh, have the obligation or duty to let our 
UK friends to know a real China. Thank you. I would have liked to follow up on the issue of Chinese democracy, which is an issue I have a great deal of personal interest in, but I will defer to the audience because we do not have very much time. At the back over there, that will be the final question. Yes, sir. Just wait for the microphone. Ambassador, thank you for your um, speech. In the latter part of your speech, you uh, mentioned some of the internal tensions um, in, in China and how, how there is no compromise for that. Um, and let's forget the international pressure for a second, but do you think that in the long term um, China will be sort of uh, forced to compromise because of internal pressure and tensions um, due to these issues? Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I, the other day, I told the following friends, I said, in a big forest, there are all kinds of birds. China is a country with 1.3 billion people, with uh, 56 different nationalities. And China is developing only in the past 30 years at a rapid speed. And it used to be a country which we call the backward and uh, poor and backward. And China is a country with a, a uneven development. As you all know, that the east side is much more developed than the west side. And the cities are much more developed than the countryside. And all these countries are existing. So I think that the whole aim of the Chinese people is to develop and uh, I told many friends, our domestic construction is still the main focus of Chinese government and Chinese people. And uh, in this transition period, when China is getting richer than before, they're bound to have some problems. For instance, uh, uh, in the old days, I'll just give you one example, we were all poor we call the equal poverty. Not much complain because everybody has a small sh share of, power, of food. And, uh, and nowadays, with the, de with the developments nowadays, particularly when market economy is introduced in China, and this will follow the rule of market economy. So there are bound to be that some people getting richer and some people are rich also get rich, but not as fast as some people. So there will be a, a large gap, larger gap than before. So there are some complaints. I think that's natural. And China's reform, in my opinion, is a gradual process. So in this process, maybe something were not permitted or practiced in early years will be allowed or ex developed to expand in late years. So there is also could create some problem. And as I said, the, the imbalance development in different regions and even among different nationalities could be another problem. So we Chinese are very sober-minded. We know that we are facing very complex challenges. But at one thing, probably that's the reason we stress about uh, a strong political leadership of the country so that they can unite the whole country to have a, a coordinated efforts 
or joint efforts to deal with the challenges. If China through to a chaotic situation with so many different centers, there'd be more difficulty, there'd be more trouble to China. So we Chinese is full of confidence. In the first place, as I said, we have very lead, wise leadership, strong in jobs for the whole nation. Two, all of the whole country, development is common cry, common demand. You cannot find in any other country that the Chinese that are so enthusiastic about developing their country. I think this was thirdly, after 30 years development, we have made great achievements, but there are still a lot of area and fields need to be divided, developed. So if we have money, we have so many areas that we can make progress. And this means a potential area China can continue to develop. And after 30 years, we have uh, summed up quite a few successful experiences. I think uh, uh, we're bound to have difficulties, bound to have challenges, but we have confidence to overcome them. So from this financial crisis, you can see why China could lead the world to have a, a, a initial recovery. And this year, almost can certain that our GDP can grow at the rate of only 80%. And now, if you are in China, the purchasing atmosphere is still very strong. And during the holidays of National Day, so many people go to, went to straight to purchase. So you can see, we have a difficulty, have a challenge, but I think our future is bright. Thank you. Ambassador Ma, it has been a great pleasure to host you on your return to your alma mater, and it has been a great pleasure for all of us to listen to you here this afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Can I ask the audience please to remain seated as the ambassador is leaving, because he's really running very short of time on it. Thank you very much. I hope to meet you again. When you have come back to China, uh, just uh, looking for me. I'm working with China, Zhongguo Guo Jiwenti and Yusuan, China Institute of International Studies. Thank you. Thank you.